Psalm 32 is where we are headed today. As we finish our our time in the Psalms, at least for this summer, each summer we walk through the Psalms together, and this will be where we put our bookmark after Psalm 32 and perhaps pick back up again next summer. Uh, But for now, Psalm 32. This morning has been, uh, our songs have been this reflection on grace. Not sure if you've noticed that, right? God of mercy, God of grace. Where grace is found is where you are. Amazing Grace, the classic song. Uh, and Psalm 32 is a psalm that is much about God's grace and forgiveness. And so let's read it together. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you, did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by a bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of grace and for the opportunity for sin to be forgiven. God, I thank you for the words of Scripture, and I pray that as as we reflect on these words today, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first two verses of this psalm really kind of sum up the whole thing. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Right? This psalm is a celebration of the grace of God who forgives and covers our sins. It is chiefly about what God has done and still does in love for his people. 
Uh, but this psalm is also a call to his people, right? It's a call for us to be a people in whose spirit is no deceit, right? And so these two things, the celebration of what God has done and the call to be God's people, come together in a single word at the center of the psalm. Verse 5, it's the word confess. I said I will confess to you. Confess. And so I want to reflect a little bit this morning on this idea of confession and, and what, what it means to confess uh, and so on. And so to, to kind of introduce and illustrate this idea of confession, I'd like to share with you a story uh, about the time that I was revived from near death by an avocado and a bag of rice. Um, yes, that's probably an overstatement, but it got your attention. <laughs> Um, and it's certainly what it felt like. So a little over 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to Uganda with a church group and partner with a local church there. And I actually got to return three years in a row, uh, and we developed this relationship with this local church in Gulu, Uganda, as uh, the city that we were in, and partner with them. Now, some mission trips you may uh, be familiar with uh, are very service-oriented. You go somewhere and you build something. You go somewhere and you, you, know, you bring resources and you, you give them out. This mission trip was almost exclusively evangelistic. Um, and so we went there, we broke up into pairs, uh, just like Jesus did with his disciples, and we went through the city and we met people. We talked with them, we prayed for them, we offered to open scripture and read the Bible with them, and we invited them to this local church there that, that we were partnering with. And it was an incredible and powerful experience. There are plenty of stories that came from that. But at least one of them is this. The first year that I went, about halfway through the trip, I got sick. Really sick. Uh, I don't know if it was food poisoning or, you know, we, we were told to avoid the water and we did that, but maybe somehow I, I ended up with some. I'm not exactly sure, but there was one afternoon that I just started not feeling so well. And so I went back to our hotel and laid down to take a nap and woke up about two days later. Um, and uh, all the time in between is just this dark blur. Uh, I, I vaguely remember there was a nurse who came with us, and I vaguely remember her coming in and checking on me and bringing me bottles of, like, Gatorade and saying, drink up, you really need fluids. And I would sort of say, okay, and then roll over and forget about it. Um, and, uh, well, the, the one other thing I can remember from that time is, um, what's the best way to put this in church? Um, when I wasn't in bed, one end of me or the other was at the toilet. I'll just leave it that way. You know what I'm talking about, right? There was something very bad in my body that desperately needed to get out, right? That, that, that was trying to get ex expelled, right? And, and like I said, I was out for two days, just completely out. And then um, as, as I like think of it on the third day, I, I rose again. Uh, and I finally emerged from this drowsy lull uh, and, and the Gatorade was there, so I drank it up and um, kind of went out into this common area uh, for the first time. I was sort of like, man, what's going on? Because um, at that point, I didn't even know it had been two days, and so I was like, wow, you've been out for a while. Um, 
And so a couple of the, the girls that were on the team with us had gone out to the market and they brought back an avocado and a bag of rice that was still warm, freshly cooked, um, and uh, brought, brought that to me. And I, I will never forget that avocado. It is the biggest avocado I've ever seen. Like the pit of the avocado in Africa was the size of our whole avocado. Um, I mean, it was just massive. So they brought me this giant avocado, this bag of rice, um, and um, it, it felt like a feast. I mean, it's the first thing I'd eaten in two or three days. Uh, and so, you know, I'm just sitting there, this warm bag of rice, this giant avocado, and a spoon. And um, it's one of the best meals I've ever had. Um, and it brought me back to life. Uh, and, and so that's my story of dire sickness and recovery. Uh, and and uh, fortunately, it, doesn't, it didn't ruin avocados for me. I love avocados. They're, they're great. Um, but this, the story of sickness and recovery, and this psalm, Psalm 32, in many ways is about another kind of sickness and recovery. It's about the sickness of sin and the recovery that God brings. So, so coming back around to that word that I mentioned, right at the center of the psalm, this word, confess. Confess. Most of the time, when we think about confession, uh, we think about the confession of sin. Confessing sin and, and uh, confessing wrong things that we've done. And, and that is precisely how it's used there in verse 5. He says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And so what does this have to do with the story that I just told? Well, Origen, uh, a theologian from the second and third century, uh, had a very colorful description of confession. He described confession as the vomit of the soul. That, that'll stick with you, right? Uh, confession is soul vomiting, right? I mean, have any of you ever experienced food poisoning? Uh, or a really bad stomach bug, right? There's almost nothing worse than that feeling, right? This unsettled churning and, and burning deep down that desperately needs to get out. Uh, and as disgusting as it is, there is something wonderfully relieving about finally throwing up, because it gets out, right? Um, and and once you get past that, you're pretty much uphill from there, right? You start feeling better and recovering. Uh, so this is the image that Origen in the second and third century used to describe confession. It is this expelling of sickness from your soul. It's, it's getting this burning, churning, upset thing out. But here's the problem. As much as I'm sure we all want to be free from the sickness of sin, as much as we want our transgression to be forgiven, as much as we want our sins to be covered, we don't want to go through the messy process of confession. We don't want to name wrong things that we've done. We don't want to admit that we've done wrong things or that we've caused harm. 
And that's why the psalmist follows up these blessings about forgiveness and so on with blessed is the one in whose spirit is no deceit, right? If we're honest, we are masters of self-deception. We are are masters of self-defense, right? Rather than admitting that we're wrong, we are endlessly inventive about all the ways that what we've done is actually right, right? You know, or, or, or maybe we're just in denial about our own character flaws. We are masters of deception and therefore avoiders of confession. We avoid it like the plague, but, but what happens when we avoid confession? What happens when we don't speak and name these things? When we fail to expel the sickness within us and instead let it stay there? You see, this is the experience that the psalmist describes in verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. That's not hard for us to imagine, especially these days, right? Right? This this summer alone has had some record-breaking days of heat, record-breaking nights of heat, Um, right? Uh, we know what it's like to, to have this, and, and you know, especially here in the Pacific Northwest where many don't even have air conditioning, right? I mean, it's just oppressive. The heat, it just gathers and stays there, and it absolutely saps strength from a person. That's what it's like for the psalmist. When the psalmist avoided confession, when he kept silent, his bones wasted away, and he groaned all day long, right? He felt this deep ache within him, right? Do, do you ever feel that ache? Sure, physically, we, we, we feel aches and pains, but, but do you ever feel that deep ache within? Maybe it's the ache of shame because of something that you've done Maybe it's the ache of bitterness because of something that was done to you. I've heard it said before that uh, bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die, right? It's just taking in that bitterness to ourselves, and we're the ones who end up sick. That's what bitterness does. All it does is make you sick, and it adds to that ache deep down. All of this, it's like a stomach ache from food poisoning, but instead it's, it's a soul ache from sin poisoning. It goes deep. It's something that I think we've all probably experienced at some point. And this is what the psalm describes right, that deep ache that that saps strength from us. But then in verse 5, it takes a sharp turn as we encounter that word, confess. 
right? Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Right? In, in a moment, everything shifts. Everything changes because confession expels that sickness from the soul. Right? It's messy, it's uncomfortable, but it is the turning point. Confession is the turning point. Now, here's the thing. In this psalm, there are two different ways for our sin to be covered. There are two different ways for our sin to be covered. One of them, we see in verse 5, is to cover it up ourselves, right? To keep our sickness secret. To hold it in and continue to be corrupted and corroded by that sickness. But the other way is to confess our sins. And in verse 1, have God cover them right? We can either cover up sins ourselves or confess them and have God cover them for us. Now, this shouldn't be difficult to think about, uh, but, but for some reason, it really is. I mean, just imagine for a moment uh, an, a gaping open wound, right? It's bleeding, it's, it's oozing, it's messy, it's painful. Um, it's a welcome invitation for all manner of bacteria. Come on in, right? Um, and just imagine leaving it there. You know, covering it up, doing nothing about it, wondering about your day like it's nothing to be worried about. Right? We all know the right thing to do is go see a doctor, right? Have them clean it up, put a bandage on it, right? Cover it up the right way, right? Confession is bringing our wounds to God. Confession is bringing those gaping open wounds of the soul to God our good physician, and letting him treat them, letting him cover them, right? We can either cover up sins ourselves, or we can confess them and let God cover them. One of them leads to infection, disease, deeper and deeper ache. And the other one leads to healing, leads to freedom. And it reminds me of Jesus approaching the leper and asking, do you want to be healed? He asks us this same question today. Do you want to be healed? Right? Well, if so, open up your wounds to him. Confess your sins and aches to him. And let him offer the healing that only he can. First John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, right? When we cover up our own sins, we're just deceiving ourselves. 
But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, right? He will cleanse that wound and forgive those sins. Blessed is the one in whose spirit is no deceit. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. God longs to cleanse and to forgive. We need only confess our sins and open ourselves to Him. That's the call. Now, the the psalm could easily have ended there, right? I mean, and it would be good news, right? Confess your sins to the Lord. I confessed my sins to the Lord, and he forgave me. Amen. But there's more to the story. There's more to the story. Confession and forgiveness does not end at the individual level. The psalmist goes on in verse 6 to address the community goes on to say, therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of mighty waters will not reach them, right? Confession and forgiveness does not only end in private, but the experience of forgiveness becomes a story to be told, to be shared, to invite others to invite community into worship and prayer and into their own confession. Right? We can we can tell the story of forgiveness because that's what we've experienced. And guys, come experience this too. Right? It becomes the story to be shared. And forgiveness itself is not even the end of the story. Verse 7 goes on to describe songs of deliverance, right? God does not only want to forgive us our sins. He wants to deliver us from our sins. Do you hear that? He doesn't only want to forgive us our sins. God longs to deliver us from them. Forgiveness is only the beginning Forgiveness is just the start, and then it goes on to a life of transformation where we are not only forgiven our sins, but free from them. No longer captive to their power and control over us, but free. Free, transformed people, no longer sick, but healthy and able to live. That's what God, it goes on in verse 8, God himself speaks to the psalmist who is freshly forgiven and free and says, I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Isn't that a beautiful image? God's desire is to lead us into life. That we might live in his love and the life of the kingdom of God. And forgiveness is, is just the beginning of that. Forgiveness is, is the prologue to eternity. It's just the first page of the story of the kingdom of God. 
Forgiveness is just the start. I've said this many times before, and and I'll say it again. The goal is not merely to get out of sin, but to get in to God. That's the goal. So many of us have been given a vision of the spiritual life that's primarily about not sinning. And so we end up with a bunch of rules and do's and don'ts and and so on. I mean, we're familiar with this kind of thing. If you've been around the church for any any length of time, right? To, To just think, well, spiritual life just means not sinning. So don't do that, do this. But that's not what God wants. Verse 9 says, Don't be like a horse or a mule with no understanding, but just controlled by bit and bridle, or they won't come to you. Right? God does not want us to be controlled by bits and bridles of do's and don'ts. He wants us to come to him out of our love for him. He wants us to be drawn to him, not by these rules that we put around us to tell us what to do and not do, but by the depths of our beings, our hearts drawn to him in love. And we will be transformed. And this is where our word confess takes on another, I think, more profound meaning. In verse 5, the word translated confess is the Hebrew word yada. Yada, right? It's a word that more generally means to, to disclose something or to declare something. And at its most literal level, it actually means to throw, to throw something, right? Uh, so now here in the psalm and, and in several other places, this word is used as confession, right? In reference to confessing our sins, right? Disclosing our wrongs, declaring that we have failed, or perhaps, you know, throwing up this sickness within us, or or throwing out this acknowledgement that that we have done wrong, that we have sinned, right? And and that's that's one way that this word is used in, in Scripture. But far more often, this very same word, Yada is used to refer to praise, to thanksgiving, right? To declare the praise of God, to, to literally throw up our hands in rejoicing. That is what this word means. And that's exactly where the psalm ends. The final verse, rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you upright in heart. And this gives us another picture of what it looks like to be a people who confess. Because we do not only confess our sins. We are also a people who confess our faith. We do not only declare and disclose that we have failed, but we declare that God has won. We declare that God is victorious. Confessing our our sins, as Origen put it, the, the vomit of the soul, 
like what I went through in Uganda, right? Is, is, is expelling sickness from within. But confessing our faith, I would say, is the savoring of the soul, like what I experienced with that avocado, that bag of rice, right? Confessing our faith is tasting good food, savoring the goodness of God. And as we savor it, we are nursed back to health. We're brought back to life. As we confess our sins, we, we expel them from our souls. We, we give them over to God and God's grace. But as we confess our faith, we receive the good food into our souls and we savor God's love. 1 John, as we read a moment ago, said that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And Philippians 2 uses the very same word when it tells the story of Jesus who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is our confession of faith. Jesus is the Lord. So let us be a people who come to God confessing our sins and receiving his forgiveness. But let us also be a people who are transformed by his love and live lives of praise, confessing with all of our being that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen.